Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. to be with you and my honor to be able to preach to you today. If you're a guest today, you owe it to yourself to be back Wednesday night. Our senior pastor will be in the pulpit and uh, beginning a new series. I would invite you back. You're going to like it much better than this, um, but you're stuck with me. It would be awkward now if you left and told everybody you were going to the bathroom. I have never preached in a bow tie, so if I do bad, it's the bow tie's fault. If I do good, however, you're going to see a lot more of them. We'll see how it goes, okay? Um, The way I'll know is you all take your ties off, and I'll know don't ever wear one again, okay? I'll know that's the way it is. I'm glad you're here. Turn around, high-five somebody. Tell them you're glad they're in church. Smile real big at them. Show them all your teeth. And you can be seated. I don't have a strong voice anyway, and uh, I have a little throat issue, so just bear with me. There's an increased level today. Uh, all the guys, you understand what this is like. There's, there, there's a stress level that's placed on us in our society when it comes to producing good romantic moments. Right? All the men say, yeah. As a student pastor in a former life, I had a student who was a junior in high school, and he knocked on my door in my office and asked if I could help him plan how he was going to ask his girlfriend to go to homecoming with him. And so we came up with this elaborate scheme that involved notes inside of balloons and color-coded fingers and paper and a baby goat and a sign around its neck, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you've got to do something good. When I was in high school, uh, you just sort of did this in the hallway. You know what I mean? But now it has to be big, right? I think it's because uh, all you ladies are doped up on the vow and the bachelor, and, and so we have to produce something bigger, right? It's just not good enough. Uh, you go on YouTube and see, you know, somebody proposing, you know, dropping an elephant out of a hot air balloon, and so we got to do something big. I read a story of a guy who was proposing, took a few days off work just to figure out how to propose. He, he had been dating uh, someone for about 11 months. They fell in love quickly, but for 11 months he had been planning how to propose. He rented a, a park out. They lived in Southern California, so he rented a park on the beach, which was no small thing to do. He organized a set of clues and meticulously timed events that were supposed to lead her to this. How many of you guys did something really cool like that? Oh, my God, none of you. <laughs> yes. Because I was hoping that that was true because I didn't either, and I didn't want you all to make me feel bad. He, he made all these clues, and they were supposed to lead her to the park at sunset. And, and it took more than just him. He had friends and spies and covert operations and walkie-talkies. And 
It was a big deal, and he wondered, what if she missed the clues? What if she didn't understand that this clue led to that clue? And what if she didn't know that this was a, a, a big deal, that he wasn't just uh, planning something unique, but he was leading her somewhere? Have you ever looked at the events in your life and thought, I wonder if this is taking me somewhere? I wonder if there's more to this than what I see. I wonder if what I'm currently living through is more than what it really is. What if there's something else I'm supposed to see here? What if there's something more I'm supposed to know about God through this? What if I'm supposed to learn something more? What if this is just a clue to that? What if this is a trail leading me somewhere closer to where I'm supposed to be over the next couple of moments together? We're going to look at three miracles in the gospel of John. Now, as we read these miracles, we're going to Discover that these miracles lead you from sign to sign, from clue to clue, and they point to something more significant, and especially the significance of the Easter season, our Holy Week revival next week, and then Easter the week after that. And the same way that this guy's proposal sort of led people towards something more, I want you to look at these miracles and think, what is God trying to show me in This miracle. In light of revival next week, let me ask you a question that is so personal to so many of us. How many of you need, you really desperately need God to perform a miracle in your life? Would you raise your hand all over the building? Keep your hand up. Look around. These are people just like you facing battles that some of you have never faced before. Some of you have come through already. And so many of us need a miracle. So many of us need God to do something supernatural. And it's so hard to understand the theology of a miracle. What really happens in a miracle? What's the message of a miracle? We use the word miracle so loosely sometimes. It's a miracle I passed high school. (laughs) It's a miracle some of you got a date. You know that's true. Don't lie. Don't point. (laughs) It's a miracle I lost five pounds. I didn't. It's a miracle. It's a we just we use this word. It's it's a miracle. I can't. It's sunny outside. It's a miracle. Here it's more like it's raining outside. It's a miracle. (laughs) My first year here, it snowed. It's a Christmas miracle. (laughs) It's a miracle. We use this word so loosely so when we really get desperate and someone says, I need a miracle, sometimes we don't fully understand what that means because we use it in so many different ways and we don't have a clear understanding of what it means for God to really perform a miracle for me. And we don't know what they are exactly and we don't know what we have to do to get one. If I could figure out a formula of how God would perform a miracle for you, I would tell you. I want you to get your miracle. If I knew how it happened, if I knew just what you had to do for God to perform a miracle in your life and a miraculous occurrence on your behalf, I would share it with you. But I don't have that. And so we adjust our definition and understanding. We lower our expectations. If I expect less from God... If I don't expect a miracle, then maybe I'll be less disappointed when I don't get one. Or maybe if I just ignore the miraculous altogether, 
Maybe if I just decide miracles only happened in the Bible, then I won't be disappointed when I don't get one. But listen, what if we have a misunderstanding of the word miracle? What if miracles are pointing to something so much larger than we thought? Shout amen. What if they're more than just a moment? What if God wants to give you a miracle so that he can take you somewhere? What if God wants to give you a miracle so he can teach you something about himself? What if God isn't giving you a miracle so he can teach you something about himself? What if God is waiting on something for me to learn? What is it about a miracle that I need to know today? We're going to look at three miracles in the book of John. If you have your Bible, start flipping that direction. The book of John was written by a guy who most people considered to be one of the inner three of Jesus' closest circle. He was in on some special experiences and conversations that all the other disciples were not necessarily privileged to be a part of. So John is writing as a gospel with a special kind of authority. He's writing as someone that not only spent three and a half years with Jesus, but he spent three and a half years close to Jesus. John has a unique perspective when he writes. In addition to that, John's style is so much different than the other Gospels. The other Gospels are much more detailed, and John is less concerned with details and more concerned with symbols and images. And so there's so much in the, in the book of John, and there's a lot of the miracles we're going to look at, so we're just going to skim right over them. I really want you to take a look at them maybe over the next couple of days when you have a chance. We're just going to look over them and see if we can figure out this miraculous thing because next week we're going to talk about miracles. We're going to believe God for miracles, but I want to have a good understanding of what that means when we come to that. So it would be helpful when you look at these stories to remember, John is doing more than just reporting the facts, okay? John is trying to tell us a story that's beyond the miracle. John is trying to say there may be a message here that you need to know. So the first miracle we're going to look at is a famous one. You've heard this over and over. It's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, which means it captured the attention of all the Gospel writers, and they all took note of it. It's the miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. Have you ever heard this? Raise your hand. Sure, you heard it in Sunday school. In this particular miracle, we see a little boy bring five barley loaves and two small fists to Jesus' disciples. And once Jesus has said what he wants to feed the crowd, they had gathered there to hear him teach. And he said, someone's got a lunch. And so they brought that together. And then John says this, John 6 and verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, which was nice. And the men sat down, 5,000 of just them and then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over and don't let anything be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with all the people. Saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did. They began to say, surely this is the prophet that's come into the world. It's a great story. It's been told countless times in this pulpit and pulpits like it. Imagine going to a party where they're serving your favorite food. The place is packed out and they only have enough pizza and fries and wings and ice cream and what else do you like? Burgers, yeah. Whatever it is that's your guilty pleasure. 
they have just enough for three people. (laughs) And the place is packed out, but somebody prays and invites everybody to dig in. And before you know it, everybody's stuffed and you're taking home leftovers of all the food. Let me tell you what you would do. I'll tell you what I would do. Whoever prayed for that food, I would get real close to him. That's what I'd do. I'd say I'm with him because he was able to multiply something I didn't think would make it. He can multiply food. Now listen, that's a miracle, okay? When you're my size, multiplying food's a big deal. I'm with him. This sounds like a happy ending. This sounds like the miracle is done. You get the feeling that Jesus says, I don't know if this is really it. The people are saying, man, this is it. This must be the prophet. The miracle did what it was supposed to do. But Jesus sort of says, I don't know if this is it. And we started seeing those clues left behind that maybe the miracle wasn't the end, that maybe there's something more behind this. Maybe that the, the miracle was not everything it was supposed to be. Let me stop here and tell you that when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it is not just for that moment. It is for you to learn something more about Jesus. Don't ever get hung up coming to church and saying, I feel full, this feels enough. No, when I come here and I experience the miraculous presence of God, I want to leave here saying, God, show me more. God, take me further. God, I need more of this. Don't let it just be about this. Let it be more than this. So Jesus says maybe this isn't. It once the crowd realized that Jesus, John 6, the story continues, the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were still there. They got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And they found them on the other side of the lake. And they said, how in the world did you get here? Don't leave that fast again. You've got food multiplying power. <laughs> we were supposed to stick close to you. Jesus answered, I tell you a truth. You're looking for me. Not because you saw the miraculous sign, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The only reason you came looking for me is because you had a need that I met. I find it so interesting the people that only come to church when things are falling apart. They only come to church when everything's messed up and when I'm hungry. They only come to church when they need something. I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to say, Jesus, whether you decide to multiply this and do a miracle or not, this is where I belong. i got to get close to you. I want to be where you are. I want to be where you are. I think Jesus said, the only reason you really want to be here is because I fed you. Kind of strange reaction to people who are willing to follow him. I would imagine. But Jesus is looking at this miracle and saying to them, you've missed the message of this miracle. And it seems so crazy to us. It seems crazy that this isn't a success, that Jesus would try to correct some attitude here. But it's so true. The point of the miracle was not for them to be full. Jesus was saying, I didn't do that just so you could have food. Listen to me. I didn't heal you just so you could be healed. I didn't deliver you just so you could be 
be delivered. I didn't save your husband just so he could be saved. The miracle that I performed for you was so that I could get close to you and you could get close to me. It's not just for you to have a full stomach. I want your soul to be so full that you're overflowing. That's why the scripture says, out of your belly shall flow waters, rivers of living water. I want to get so close to him that if I leave full or if I don't, I'm overflowing because I've been with him because I'm close to him. Shout amen. I'm close to him. That's why I want to be there. You missed the point. I don't just want you to come to church and get full. Listen, Christian life, next week, I don't want you to just come to church with your spiritual grocery cart, park it in the aisle and say, fill me up. No, no, no. I want you to come and say, Jesus, during this revival, I want to get close to you. I want to be where you are. I don't just need this miracle. I need to be where you are. I want the message of this miracle in my life. That's why Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. Don't forget this is what it was about. He who comes to me will never be hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. There it is. That's the point of any miracle, to point to something bigger. These aren't just interesting magic tricks. Listen to me. Your miracle is not just a magic trick for Jesus to fix what's wrong with you. It's so he can get close to you. It's so he can come close to you. I am the bread of life. But what does it mean for me? And what does it mean for you if we're not careful? We're dangerously close to coming to church week after week saying, God, do something this week. God, do a miracle this week. God, do a trick now. I have a little 16-month-old baby who's at home with the croup right now. We need a miracle about 2 o'clock this morning. <laughs> and, and she's just learning to do stuff. Brad, you've been through this, right? She's just learning to do stuff. So we want her to show off and do her tricks in front of everybody. You know what I mean? Hazel, where's your hair? Hazel, where's your eyes? Hazel, where's your nose? Hazel, where's your belly button? She always points to your belly button. If you ever ask her, don't get weirded out. That's just what she does. She points to your belly button. I don't know why. But she never does the tricks in front of anybody. Does everybody's kids do that or just mine? So at home, she does all of her tricks for mama and me. But when we get in front of people, she doesn't do any. And if we're not careful, we come to church and say, Jesus, do a trick. Do you think I need something? I, I, I need something from you. Jesus, do, do what you do. I, I, I need a miracle. I, I've got myself in a mess and I need you to do a trick now. Listen, miracles are not magic tricks. They are pointers to something that is so much bigger. The miracle isn't the point. The miracle is the pointer leading you back close to Jesus Christ. God was active. God was involved. God demonstrated his goodness. That's why he fed 5,000 men, women, and children. Don't count God out because you don't see this happening. Everybody wants a big miracle. Everybody wants something big. 
Everybody wants to be able to say God was involved here. God did this. Look at this big thing. Everybody wants something that's huge. Everybody wants God to move natural law and do something supernatural. Everybody wants God to do something that's big. They want the kind of Daniel in a lion pit miracle, yeah? Everybody wants Joshua walking around the walls kind of miracle. Everybody wants a big miracle. These miracles resonate with us. You know why? Because these are the kind of miracles we want for ourselves. That's why we like reading about them in Scripture. Because we want a miracle that big. We want something big. We want to be able to tell the story that God did something amazing on our behalf. Now listen, listen. God can perform anything. Say amen. Amen. God can do anything. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. So where's mine? If he can, why hasn't he? If he can do it, why didn't he do it for me? Why am I standing here at the casket of a loved one if he's able? Why can't God come through? I believe that he can. I just don't know why he didn't. I don't know where mine is. You would be surprised the number of people in Scripture that felt the same way. We always read about the big miracles, but nobody ever reads about, because it's not really recorded, all the people that walked away that didn't get their miracle, that God didn't perform what it was they thought they should have got from God. There were some fortunate people that God performed a miracle in their life. And then there were tons of people who would leave that day wondering, I know he can. I just don't know why he didn't for me. Have you ever felt that way? I believe God can do it. I just don't know why he hasn't done it for me. Where's my miracle? Why hasn't he come through for me? Growing up, some of you know this, we sang a song called, uh, he's an on-time God. You remember? He's on time. He may not come when you want him. He'll be there. <clears throat> what if he's not on time? What if you lose your house? What if they die? I thought he was on time. The next miracle takes place in a town called Bethany. You know about it. It's Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. I'm talking about dead kind of sick. Dying sick and Lazarus has two sisters Mary and Martha and they send word to Jesus they're friends with Jesus and they send word and say Jesus come do a trick come do what we need you to do we're in need of a miracle and the Bible says that he did not he delayed Mary and Martha are praying a desperate prayer have you ever been there? I need a miracle. Jesus, I need you to come through. Lazarus is almost dead. Lazarus is so sick. Where are you? Day after day, they would think maybe he's coming today and he didn't come. Maybe he's coming tomorrow and he didn't come. Maybe he'll be here the next day and he didn't come. And Lazarus dies and he's dead four days. He may not come when you want to be there. 
and he's dead. Some friend, some miracle worker, some Jesus who let this happen to me. I know you're too spiritual to ever talk to God that way, but I'm not. I've shaken my fist at heaven and said, where were you? If you would have been here sooner, Lazarus would not have died. Martha is so mad. Mary stays at home, but Martha is hurt and disappointed, and she storms out to confront Jesus. Martha says in John 11, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, if you would have come through, this wouldn't have happened. God, why did it take you so long? Why aren't you answering my prayer? Why did they have to die? Why did it have to go this far? Why didn't you answer? I needed a miracle. I believed you're a miracle worker. Why didn't you give me mine? It doesn't matter what you're asking from God. It could be big or it could be small. When God doesn't do what we want and doesn't show up like we expect, we can't help but wonder, where are you, God? Where were you? But Martha does something that changes everything. John 11, the story continues, but now I know, Martha said, now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And then later on in verse 27, she says, yes, Lord. I, everybody say believe. I, shout it. Shout it. I, I, I didn't get my miracle when I thought it would, but I, I, you didn't answer when I thought you would, but that, that doesn't matter. I still, God, you didn't come through when I thought you were supposed to come through, but it doesn't matter because I still. Come on, somebody needs to stand to your feet and look at your miracle and say, it's not yet, but I still believe it's coming. I don't know what took you so long, but I believe. I don't know why you haven't answered yet, but I believe. I don't know why you didn't do it before he died, but Jesus, I believe. Come on, shout it out. Shout it out. Sometimes you're going to have to stand at the front of this building at a casket and say, I still believe. Sometimes you're going to have to walk away from a marriage and say, I still believe. Sometimes you're going to have, I still believe. I still believe. I believe. I don't know why you didn't get here sooner, but I trust you. I know you. It wasn't about the miracle as much as it was about me proving that I trust you. I believe. And Lazarus is raised from the dead. How many miracles have we missed because we give up at the tomb of our miracle and all you have to do is wait four more days with a believing heart. How many times have I walked away from my dead brother and said, I guess God just doesn't care. I guess God just doesn't come through. I guess it's just not meant to be. No, no. Maybe the miracle isn't the point. Maybe there's a message he's trying to teach me that whether he comes through when I want him to or not, Jesus, I still shouted, believe. Come on, shouted, believe.
I believe, I believe, I believe the people that are standing, the people that are crying beside you, the people that are feeling what I'm telling you are people that know what it's like to not get your miracle in time. And yet they're in church saying, I still believe. These are the people that are still making it say, I still believe. Why didn't he do it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean he can't do it. I still believe. I still believe. I believe, I trust you. Listen, confidence comes at the end of the miracle. It's easier to trust a God who shows up before Lazarus dies than it is a God who raises the dead. It's easier to trust a God who gives you a new job before you lose the old one. It's easier to trust a God who fixes your marriage before it falls apart completely. It's easier to trust a God who saves your baby before the Lord takes him. I don't know why he did it, but I know this. If you'll keep believing, there's a message just on the other side of your miracle. Come on, stand to your feet all over this house. Put your hands together. Throw your head back and shout, I believe. I believe. I, I, I still believe. I don't care if he doesn't come through. I don't know what's taking him so long, but I still believe. I still believe that he can. I'm going to stick with the bow tie. I know he cares for me. I know he's still... What kind of God lets your brother die? I'll tell you the kind. The kind that can raise the dead. That's the kind of God that does it. It's because there's something more he's trying to teach me. And John continues with the story. And I love this. John 11.35, the shortest verse in the Bible. I got to hurry. John says something about the character of God. You will not ever know God's character until you go through a crisis. You will never fully understand a God that can provide when you have everything you need. It's when you don't have what you need that you understand he's our provider. How will you ever know him as a healer if you don't get sick? How will you ever know him as a deliverer until your back's against the wall? And so... John says, there's something I want you to know about this God I'm preaching to you. And John eleven thirty five says simply this, Jesus wept at the loss of his friend. Let me encourage you today. Jesus cares for you. He is moved with compassion for you. Jesus is not the big man upstairs, no. He's not a high priest that can't be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, no, no, no. He's an ever-present, a close, a feeling, a caring, a weeping and compassionate God. And he wept over the crisis. 
Maybe you haven't got your miracle so you'll know he cares. Maybe Mary and Martha needed to see salty tears go down the face of their Savior to know he cares. And so if I don't get my miracle, I know he cares. Not that long ago, it seemed as if Every show on TV, I love reality TV. Does anybody else? I love extreme home makeover. Do you? Brandy and I and Hazel sit on the couch and we scream, move that. How did y'all know bus and you can't scream believe? <laughs> move that bus. And I'm crying and Ty's crying and we're all crying and everybody's sobbing and all and then I always, I don't know why I do this, I ask Brandy, I wonder if they take care of that. You know? They build this beautiful million dollar mansion in the middle of the hood. <laughs> I can't see a problem with that. <laughs> or extreme weight loss, you know, some guys, the other day, oh my gosh, I was watching, and uh, awful, extreme weight loss. And so, you know, and he loses all this weight and then, and then you see a follow-up story, and he's gained back all of this weight. There's, there's these extreme cases of makeovers. And, and, and what, what normally happens, not always, but what, what normally happens is, is that they end up going back to the way that it used to because it's comfortable that way. The old way haunts them. The old life has a way of getting in the way of what's next. Have you ever felt that way before? Trapped by your past. Not able to move beyond your past. Uh, you, you, you maybe were raised in an environment where you were so insecure, told you didn't matter. And as much as you try as an adult to combat that, as much as you believe that God loves you, you're still an insecure little girl little boy who can't find acceptance and approval trapped by your path an extreme makeover yes but I can't help but think about the way it was maybe it was some sin that you just can't seem to get past maybe your past is trapping you and the miracle of Easter The miracle of the resurrection says that you and I can have brand new lives. And yet so many of us, if we look at the story of where are they now, we're still battling the same old thing. Our final miracle leads us to Palm Sunday next week. The greatest miracle up until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to me. Let me tell you emphatically from this pulpit. All paths do not lead to God and all religions are not the same. What makes Christianity and the gospel that we preach different is that our God was risen from the dead and he lives forevermore. He is alive forevermore. 
And because of his resurrection, I can be forgiven. And so the miracle of Easter is that Jesus defeats death, hell, and the grave. This should be it, right? This should be the point. It's a miracle. It's the biggest miracle humanity had ever experienced. And yet there may be more. Maybe the miracle isn't the point, but the pointer. Maybe the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just the point, it's the pointer. The disciples are low. Jesus had just been crucified brutally. His body placed in a borrowed tomb. This wasn't a high point. John 20 says, early on the first day of the week while it's still dark. I love that sentence because sometimes you have to go looking for a miracle even when it's still dark outside. I don't know where to go from here. I don't know how to find him from here. Sometimes you just have to feel your way through the dark, Leroy, and say, maybe it's here. Maybe he's there. And Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. This isn't the same Mary in our other story. No, this is Mary Magdalene. You see, Luke tells us Mary Magdalene was possessed with seven devils. You think you have a tough time getting a date. You battle seven devils. It'll mess up a Friday night. And Jesus performs a miracle, casting all of the demons from her, delivers her, gives her a miracle. She has an encounter with Jesus that forever changes her life. And now, Jesus is dead. And so Mary is the first at the tomb, finding her way through the dark. You see, people that get miracles always keep looking for more. People that have been delivered are always looking for Jesus to do it again. So she said he did it once, he can do it again. And she finds her way to the tomb. The stone is rolled away. She came running to Simon, Peter, and John. And she said they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. I don't even know where they put him. Not only is he dead, but somebody stole him. So Peter and John started for the tomb they were running one disciple outran Peter John Peter was short like me we can't run as fast remember that so Peter finally makes it there he bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying but he didn't go in and then Peter who was behind him arrived and went to the tomb and when he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus had the cloth was folded up and separate finally John who had reached the tomb first decided to go inside you see not everybody can believe at the same pace and John saw and believed Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, imagine a single woman in a cemetery at dark and all the men just went home. 
There Mary is delivered. But in despair. Maybe there's a message for me here. Two angels are there. And they ask her why she's crying. She's answered because Jesus' body isn't there anymore. And she turns around and there she sees him. Jesus himself. The resurrected Jesus. The glorious Jesus. The risen and conquering king Jesus. Listen. He did not appear to the disciples first. He appeared to the lady looking for a miracle. He appeared to somebody who needed him to come through. He appeared to somebody with a checkered past, with mess-ups and hang-ups, someone who was disqualified, someone who didn't belong there. And he said, Mary, I'm here for you. That's what makes the resurrection so powerful. It's not so much that Jesus defeated death. It's because he rose with new life. It's because Mary Magdalene could start again, and so can you and I. That's why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone puts on Christ, is buried into Jesus Christ, he is a new creation, and the old is gone. And you and I can confidently stand in front of the tomb and say we are brand new and new has come. Stand to your feet all over the house. New has come. New has come. The message of the miracle of Easter is that new has come. Listen, if I were you, I'd get anybody I knew that needed a miracle to church next week. I'd call everybody I knew who was sick, everybody I knew who was lost, everybody who had backslid from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every person I knew who needed a miracle, I'd get them to church. Why? Because if he can do it once, if I were you, I would stand at that tomb till he did it again. And maybe you're here today. And you know what it's like to be one of these three. Maybe you know what it's like to fit inside of one of these. Maybe the miracle isn't the point, but it's the pointer. Maybe you need to get closer to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's more than a full stomach. Maybe it's about a full soul and a full spirit, overflowing full. Maybe you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit that springs up in you and flows out of you. Maybe you need a closeness with Jesus Christ through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Maybe you're here and you need a miracle and God hasn't come through. He hasn't made a way. You're standing at a grave of a dead miracle. Why didn't he show up yet? Why didn't he come yet? You don't know why. I don't know why. But I know this. You can run to this altar. Put your hands in the air. And with everything inside of you, you can declare, I believe I don't know when or how but I believe maybe you're the third type of person here today and you need that new life offered through the resurrection maybe you know what it's like to be trapped by your past 
Maybe you know what it's like to be trapped by your past. Maybe you know what it's like to have mistakes that haunt you. Not sure if you can ever overcome them. Not sure if you can ever be delivered. Maybe you know what it's like to need that Easter miracle. Not just the resurrection, but that new life that comes with it. If you're in the house today, everybody's closing their eyes and bowing their head. Every hand is being raised toward heaven now. Every heart is being opened to Jesus Christ and the moving of His Spirit. If you're in the house today, our prayer partners and pastors are making their way to the front. And you need a miracle. You need God to move on your behalf. You need God to answer on your behalf. You need God to come through for you. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.